0: We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man. Men from Moto digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellects vast, cool, and
1: unsympathetic.
0: Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Manor Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 82, Bonkin, Krumar Bonkin. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers with me again this week. How are you, sir?
1: I am fantastic, David. How are you?
0: I am good. Good to get back to normal, back to the regular scheduled podcast.
1: Yeah, and it's good to be over the dental issues that made me unable to talk and record. So it it it's nice to feel like me again. I don't know that I've ever discussed this on the podcast, but I love tortilla chips. And I love tortilla chips with salsa. And I hadn't had any in two weeks. And we went to Hector's, which is a, a great Mexican restaurant near our house tonight. And I ate so many chips. I'm still kind of full, even though it was three hours ago. It feels so good to eat chips again, man. Are you done with your demonic
0: bleeding from the mouth?
1: Yeah, that was really weird when that happened on stream. I had to cancel that one. Um, But yeah, all of that's over. Everything is is mostly healed. There's still a little bit of pain, but today was my first day with no painkillers, no Advil, and
0: uh, I'm ready to rock. That's awesome. I think my favorite memory from this week or this 10 days will be trying to make you laugh on stream while you weren't talking. I think that was...
1: (laughs) Oh God, you're such a jerk. That was so good.
0: I didn't get to see the the mouth bleeding, though, so I'm, I'm pretty glad about that. But I'm glad to have you back. Uh, listeners, I'm sure will be glad to have you back and back to the regular... That's questionable. ...regular format, um, especially with the end of summer coming up here. No more summer vacations, no more dentist visits. Should be back to our regular weekly podcast and uh, right in time for Guilds of Ravnica. Spoiler season coming up here pretty quick, so looking forward to that. Me too. Um... Where do you want to start this week? We've got we had chaos drafts this past week. We didn't get to do a podcast for, but I know you did some. I did one. Uh we've got cons this week, which is my favorite or at least one of my favorite formats. Um we've done a cons primer in the past. That doesn't mean we can't talk about it again this week. Uh we've got some arena news-ish, not really news, but there's some rumblings going on about some of the new formats, the the wacky formats that are that are out there right now. Um, and then we've also got you wanted to do a follow-up on our on our topic from last week, ten days ago, um, on good cards gone, bad and limited. Where do you want to start this week? Let's start with the news, Dave. I I think you start the podcast with the news and we go through the news. Can you give us like one of those like news intros? Like
1: I was going to, but you did that so perfectly. I think
0: we're good to go now. Alright. So breaking news. Uh, Moto, we got cons this week. So obviously uh, that's huge for anybody that likes flashback drafts. Cons is probably one of the more popular flashback draft formats, I would say. Just seeing the rumblings on Twitter and seeing what Lee Sharp uh, used to talk about when he was on the Moto team. So that's pretty cool. Um, on the other side of Moto, continuing on with drafting though, not really a flashback. Kind of a flashback is they're bringing back Dominaria uh, intermediate queues Sorry, leagues, not just queues. So, um, that's big if you really like the Dominaria and are kind of sick of M19. I know that you're getting your fill on Arena. Uh, you're not really doing Dominaria, so you probably won't get back to Magic Online for that. Um, but people that have been asking for Magic Online to go back to Dominaria without having these silly kind of eight-man queues, which just seems so archaic compared to what we're used to now with leagues. <laughs> it's so bad! It, they're so bad. It's like, why would I Why would I wait three hours to draft when I could draft twice or three times in the span of that that same time period? So um so good news for people that like that on magic online if you want to get your fill and don't want to play competitive on arena
1: quick draft is switching to dominaria tomorrow in arena anyway Ooh, i did not realize that yeah so like we had two weeks of m19 which was kind of nice but i'm also kind of done with it uh so i think we get two weeks of dominaria now unless i'm mistaken so i'm ready to rock with some of that too
0: how did you wrap up on your m19 do you remember what your winning percentage was i can find it for you in just a moment I ended up with a sixty-nine-ish percent win rate. I was over sixty-nine, somewhere between sixty-nine and seventy. So not too bad for me. But I did have oh, a couple of did, one threes. How many did you do? Uh, at least ten. Okay. In over two hundred games, I was at sixty-four point four. I think my sample size was pretty small, and I did finish with a one three. Um. So I was definitely trending downward in there. I had a lot of seven Os that were. Um, off stream, I actually didn't stream a ton of M nineteen. I, I did four or five on stream, and I did another four or five offline. So,
1: yeah the the first time they had m nineteen through, I I ended up at seventy percent, and then ended up at seventy in Dominaria, a little over seventy in M and Cat, and then this was two weeks of this format, uh, and we hit around sixty five, which I'm I'm not disappointed with. But like when we first started talking about M nineteen, you argued that there might be a cap to how much play was in the format. I said you were wrong, uh, but it was actually me who was wrong. I,
0: I think there's actually something to that. Can I get one of those, like, the bellhop bells that I would ring whenever you say that I'm right about something? Like, ding! Well, it would only right. have been rung once so far in years of podcasting. Every um, streak starts with one, Travis.
1: That's fair. That's fair. But
0: it could also be the exception proving the rule. It, I mean, broken clock, et cetera, et cetera. No, it's, it's interesting because I think um, it's a format that's probably easier for people to learn compared to like a Dominaria or a Constraft or something like that. And the distance from learning to quote unquote mastering, I don't think is, is very far like skill wise. Whereas in a format like let's say Dominaria, I think that the gap between the the really good and the, the brand new is much wider yeah. Um, and I think the same applies to to cons draft, for example. Uh, it's it's a core set, right? We knew that going in. That's typically what core sets are: uh, flat power level and and kind of swingy rares and and things like that. But it's like it's it's straightforward, right? Like your opponent plays a bomb, you kill their bomb, and you assume that they have one or two bombs in their deck that you have to kill, and that's pretty much it, right?
1: I I feel like a lot of this format to M nineteen in particular comes down to an opening hand and there's several of the color combinations that look at their opener and then say, can you beat this? And if you don't, they just win games over. And if you do, they lose games over. Mm -hmm. And like you need to have it. I'm I'm to the point now where I need to have at least four ways to stop a rust wing Falcon with an Oak skin on it, because I'm going to see that. And if you disperse that most of them just scoop but if, if you don't, you're you're going to be dead pretty darn quick if you don't handle it. So I, I think that a, a format that's like that, it, it ups the variance a little bit because you have to have enough of the answers in your deck to be able to draw them. And then I've had some grindy games where, you know, I've cast Switcheroo five times over the course of the game after I macabre waltzed back my scrounger of secrets. Like, it, it can go both ways, but you've got to be prepared for that initial burst of here's my one drop and an enchantment um and like we saw that some in Ixalan too but it seems even pushed further here so I I think that matters a little bit and gives us a little bit more of a swingy feel not that it's bad like I've drafted M19 for two weeks now with breaks for chaos drafts and a break today for cons and I've I've really enjoyed it I don't think I'd be disappointed to play it for another week um but it it does feel a little more swingy
0: yeah and I think I would be done after this week like I'm not going to I'm not gonna long for the days where I could draft M19, whereas I long for the days where I could draft cons, for example. So um but it's fine, it's fine for a corset, and like I said, we knew that going in. So um yeah. I have I've definitely had my fill, but I'll have a week of cons here, hopefully, and then I'll do some dominary on arena, and then we'll be right into Guilds of Ravnica season. Yeah, yeah, exciting times. So looking forward to that. All right. Speaking more about arena, um, so the last couple of weeks we've seen kind of these weird formats anybody familiar with hearthstone would know that their brawl formats which was like a weekly or like whatever bi-weekly kind of unique event that changed the rules the base rules of hearthstone whether that be uh the cards that are in your deck or the the things that happen when you play creatures on the field for example and arena has done a couple of those styles of events here now um or at least one and they've got another one coming up this weekend um, this past weekend, I believe, was Exploration, which was kind of an interesting take on Constructed Magic, where you started with an opening card hand of 9 instead of 7, and you got to play 2 lands per turn, which is very interesting um, and completely changes the, the dynamic of how the game of Magic is played. I didn't sit around and theorize about how to play it. I didn't build a deck for it. didn't really have time this weekend. Um, but it seemed like the reception for it was quite positive, at least from a gameplay perspective. The downside is is the prize payout and the entry fees were kind of regarded as not good at all to play with and not worth people spending their free currency on. Did you, I, I you didn't play any of this, but did you read anything about it? Did anybody come in, in, into your stream and talk about it? What, what's your take on just the rumblings that you're hearing about the exploration format?
1: So I, I, I didn't play any of it. A lot of people in my stream have been talking about it and asking my opinion on it. And you know, oddly enough, I didn't initially think of Hearthstone Brawl. I thought of the different modes in PUBG, where they'll do like a, a weekly event over the weekend. And some of those are awesome and fun. There was one where all you could have was shotguns. It was like, that was actually a lot of fun to to drop down and Picado and only have shotguns and shoot at each other. And other ones seemed really stupid to me where they were like, we're going to drop you in level three gear with sniper rifles. And I'm like, I'm just going to get murdered. I don't want to play that. So where I went with that in PUBG was I played the ones that look interesting to me and were fun. And I didn't play the ones that didn't look interesting to me and didn't seem fun. I, I think it's important to remember that some established magic formats that we have now, such as Booster Draft and Commander, started out as alternate ways to play magic that players started doing. So, like, it could be that this format is the next big thing. It's probably not, but it's a fun, different way to play magic, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I also don't have a problem with the prize payouts being wonky, because this isn't, re- like, this isn't a competitive event. This is something you go do for fun. So if you're spending some free-to-play currency on it, you're not supposed to walk away with a whole lot else besides the experience and the stories, and I got to try this thing. So I I think it's a good thing. I think that they're stretching what magic is and what magic can do in a digital space. When I first played Eternal, I was mind-blown about some of the mechanics that they had in that game because they could really take advantage of not having it tied to paper at all. Things like casting this card affects all the copies of it in your deck. I was like, that's really neat. And then you draw the card that had been affected. And you could see that it was buffed, like creatures dying and going to the graveyard, but retaining the buffs that they had on them. I'm like, that's really neat. And I think it's cool that magic is exploring. You see what I did there? This design space as well. So I think overall, this is a good thing, but I, I wouldn't be looking to like run tournaments of this and rack up all of the free gems. I would look at it as, Hey, this is a neat, different way to play magic. I also think it's a good way to get people that don't have a super large collection into start playing constructed events like this, because that's got to be super high variance. Like just jam all the decent six drop mythic rares you have into a deck and you can probably win some games here or there. So like it it seems like a, a fun, different way to play. I'm glad to see that they're experimenting with it. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it because they'll eventually hit on one where that's shotguns and Picado and I'll be all over that. This just wasn't that for me.
0: Yeah, I wonder. So like, this is this is a question just in general for the listener and for you, but as Magic players, are we too addicted to the concept of expected value?
1: Yes, like, certainly.
0: I, I feel like every time I look at something in regards to Magic, it's always about expected value to me. It's always about... You know, I'm not gonna buy that booster pack because I'm not gonna open it unless I'm gonna draft it. Like it doesn't make any sense for me to open it otherwise. Or I'm not gonna enter that arena event because the prize payout is in packs and I don't want I don't need to spend gold on packs, right? So like what's the Ooh, point? I hit over three hundred packs today. I'm kinda proud. That is insane.
1: When are you gonna take a screenshot of that? Uh when they announce what time the wipe is. Right. I wanna get
0: it as, as big as possible. Three hundred I mean, that's like two hundred drafts. Yeah, something like Have you really that. Done anyway, drafts? Eh, anyway, sorry, I'm sidetracked here. But like, but like, not everything has to be perfect EV for us to play. However, I do feel like it needs to be for me to play, and I think that's a that's a fault of mine. That's a flaw of mine. But I think it's a flaw that a lot of Magic players share. And I don't understand. And this is this is not a knock on people that that feel this way at all. This is, if anything, it's a knock on me as well. I don't understand why. I only look at that when I play magic and I don't look at that when I buy a board game when I buy a video game when I go for you know a burger or something like that for for lunch I don't I don't focus on the expected value of that board game as much I'm okay dropping seventy dollars on a brand new board game and if I play it twice I usually don't care about it after like it's like I didn't I don't care that I wasted all that money and played it twice but man if you put me in a draft event that cost me two dollars and I don't feel like I get two dollars of value back at the end of that, I'm not going to draft again. And and I feel like that's a major flaw of mine. And I don't know how to break out of that cycle. And I feel like these events should be a good opportunity to do that. But I just can't bring myself to sit down and try them out. Dave, if your son
1: beats you at Candyland,
0: do you feel bad? No, because it's Candyland.
1: Yeah, there's there's an ego thing going here. And I, I can only say this because I have one too and I feel the same way. The, the EV... Part of it is I like to be able to say that I have an amazingly high win percentage. And I was so proud to say that I've played Magic Online and not spent a dime on it. Like, I I have some pride in this. I have some skin in this. I want to be good at it. I want to let people know how smart I am. Like, that's that's part of what draws us to play Magic in the first place is so we can make the good plays, we can win the games, and we can kind of let everybody know how awesome we are. Whereas, you know, when you buy a copy of... Um, settlers of Catan, that's not the experience that you're looking to have. You're looking to have a beer with your friends and trade wool for roads or whatever it is you do. So like, it's, it's a whole different experience that you're looking for. And I think if you take that mindset and check out some of these alternate formats, it can be a lot of fun. The, the big kind of way that I learned this, this is ages ago, but I used to do a series of commander videos um, for draft magic God, this has been four years ago, but it was with Derek Boyko, Tom Dahlia, and Archie Owen. And I'll be honest, I really don't like Commander. I don't get it. I don't understand why people are into it. I had an absolute blast playing with those three dudes over Skype on Magic Online. The social aspect was just fun. And I made garbage decks. Like, I made one and just put every cat card that I could get into the deck— and it didn't matter. It was still fun. I was absolutely non-competitive, and that wasn't what I was looking to do. My goal was how many cat tokens can I make before they kill me? And it it was still fun. So like, you can have fun with this game and experience it in a different way um, and then still have your pride on the line when it comes to, okay, it's time to draft. So when there's one that appeals to you, maybe this isn't it, but when there's one that is, jump in there and check it out, man. I think that, that you and the the broader you listening in on us would probably benefit from just having some fun with magic.
0: Mm-hmm. I think the question then is that people are going to ask, I mean, I'm not going to ask, ask this question because I know what the answer is, but the, the question then is why even charge for these events? Why, why not make them free with no prizes or very tiny prizes on the end of it? Right? Like why can't I mess around in this draft format? Why or in this uh, experimental format? Why can't, why do I have to spend this, this gold? And I mean, the answer for that is, wizards is has a certain level of generosity when it comes to the the free currency that they give us and they have to get a way to get that out of the system somehow and this is them experimenting with how to get that out of the system i think and you know people aren't going to spend actual dollars on this but they will spend that free currency which in turn will encourage people to eventually spend real dollars on the game if they enjoy it obviously so
1: Yes, but this could also be free once the game gets out of beta, and they're doing it now to t- gauge interest. Like if people will spend X gold to play an event, like that means it's probably pretty popular if it has garbage prizes, right? Because they're not—they're clearly not playing it for the prizes. But I, I think Magic could use an injection of for fun players because it, it just seems like, you know, if I if I make one pick somebody doesn't agree with in a draft. I, you know, sometimes chat will just explode with them ranting for five minutes. Uh, spoiler alert about how we should definitely be playing metamorphic alteration in our M19 deck. I'm like, it, it doesn't matter that I know that they're wrong. It, they're just going to blow up at me. And I I think we could use that in injection of for fun people like draft the fun card every once in a while and try it out or try the wonky format and see if it's something you enjoy when, when money's on the line or when you're tracking your win rate or when you really want to show how smart you are, yeah, make the grown-up picks. You know, play standard, play modern, whatever it is that you're doing. But if you've got three friends over and a bottle of wine, play the commander decks, and who cares if it's a good one?
0: Have you seen those, like, that five-player board game that's coming up for Magic? It's not really a board game, but it's, like, pre-constructed decks, and you, it's meant to play five players with 60-card decks right out of the box for new players? I have not seen that, but that sounds it, great. It looks very cool. It's supposed to be targeted to new players. It's board game style. You're supposed to be able to open it and play for two hours. Uh coming out with this new set. So there you like that's that's this that's the type of thing, right? Where like I would go and buy that and not feel like I've given up any value. I would like I don't need the expected value on the other side of that because it's I'm playing it like a board game, and I think you hit it right on the head. So I thank you for that. You're like my little MTG psychologist there this week. Tell me about your mother. Uh, she's a great person. There you go. <laughs> All right, so I don't think there's much else for news except that they do have. What's the other event coming up this weekend for MTG Arena? Did I close my thing? I closed the window. Is it there's, popper this weekend? There's a draft explore thing going on. That's in a couple the of weeks. Yeah, so that, I know that one's coming up. Yeah, and there, I think there's a, maybe a popper this weekend or forty life. One of those two anyways, but it's neat that they're exploring with that. Uh, they have basic Momir coming out soon too, which I don't know how that'll go. Um, I might try that one out because that's just random and fun. It's like flipping coins. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything I, else going on right now though.
1: There's not, and I think we're kind of getting to the point where there sort of needs to be. Like, Quick Draft continues to just boggle my mind. I had not looked at it with the with an eye on the packs as value uh, but someone in chat coded some stuff that I didn't understand and various people who did understand it looked at the code and then came back and were like, yeah, this isn't even good value if you value the packs. Like competitive draft is just bad. Quick draft is where it's at. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm ready to draft with people again. I kind of missed that. And I'm ready to have sideboards again. I, I've actually en- enjoyed playing on Magic Online for the Chaos drafts because I got a chance to play with a sideboard. And I'm like... You know this color hoser that I got out of random pack has just been great, uh, and I was able to sideboard today when I did a cons draft. So I, I'm I'm ready for them to focus on some of that. They've mentioned sealed. I'm kind of interested in that. They've mentioned a friends list. That one's not a huge deal to me, but it would be neat to like save a draft deck and then play it against a viewer or against you at some point, and you know kind of get those games in. So I'm I'm kind of getting ready for some new features. And I've heard a lot of people get frustrated. That they're, you know, apparently working on this fun stuff instead of the features that were promised. And I would argue that, like, I don't think that that's taking away from this. I, I would imagine that it's very different people working on how to code, you know, drafting with real people versus what happens if we change the life total to 40. Right. One of those is a creative thing. The other is a programming thing. And those people usually aren't the same people. So they're, they're not taking away your drafting with real people so that we can play two lands per turn. Um, so, so like, don't don't be mad at them for that. But I'm, I'm ready for the new stuff, too. So I'm, I'm kind of expecting a lot with the next update.
0: Yeah, I read somewhere, maybe um, it was on Twitter, that Lee Sharp was talking about where the concept of one of these different formats came from. I don't remember if it was 40 Life or if it was the the Momir, um, but it was somebody doing it in their spare time. Right? Yeah. Like somebody like After Hours. That was Momir. I read that one. Stayed in the office and said, like, I'm going to try to do this. And so the interesting thing about development um, is that, like, a lot of... Some of these large companies, like I remember reading about Google having this, is where they would have like a personal project Friday, where like every second Friday for a certain number of hours, you just got to work on whatever the hell you wanted for Google. And that's where things like Google Chat and Google Hangouts came from. And I don't remember if Google Maps is on that list, but some of these like big things, I think Gmail, maybe like one of the Gmail, like early Gmail clients came from that as well where like, it's just these people that are just working on these fun projects. And sometimes even if it, if it is taking away from something else, you can build these other systems that are so much more useful later on down the road. So what, what they're trying to do with this, I imagine is trying to come up with a system that they can use to tweak the rules of magic to create these different events. And then what they can do is they can tweak the rules of magic in a hundred different ways later on and build these like brawl style events, these hearthstone style events, which I think is what, a lot of people like out of Hearthstone because they're fun and if you're not competitive, it doesn't matter. So I, th- I think that's what they're trying to do. So even if it is taking away from some of these other things, which it may or may not be, we don't know for sure, you know, a rising tide floats all boats in this case in Arena, right? Is like, yes, you might not get a friends list, you might get it a week later than you would normally, but hey, look at this cool thing, we can play Basic Momir on, on Arena, right? Or we can, or somebody added another set of cards to Arena so that we can now go back and play postmodern instead of just standard, for example, right? So, like, you kind of have to look at the, uh, the grand scheme of things. And, like, in software development, there's, like, a list of, of things that need to be done, and some of these things get bumped to the bottom, like a friends list, where it's, like, it's not a big deal if there's no friends list right now because there's so many other ways to communicate with people Outside of the game, you just can't play against them inside the game, right? That's that's the yeah. downside. But it's like, compared to some of these other things, it might be so low impact. Like, they're working on Guilds of Ravnica right now, I imagine, that they just can't take time to work on these little things sometimes. So, it, you kind of have... It's give or take, you know, you kind of have to be a little aware of, I guess, how software development works. But, like, you're right. Like, people that work on the scorpion that runs across the screen, when you click on them, probably don't work on the same team that works on implementing a friends list and in-game and, and challenges and things like that. So I don't know. I say given the benefit of the doubt, um, it'll be there soon. But for sure want to see drafting with real people. I think that's the highest priority for me right now.
1: Yeah, that's the thing I want to see most. Although the fact that if you click on the Scorpion, now he runs
0: faster is pretty dang cool. It's so funny. It's just such a nothing thing. And people are focusing on it like it's the greatest thing ever. I mean, this is not to knock Arena at all, but like Hearthstone's clickable interface is out of the world. Like yeah. it's insane how good it is. So I feel like just stay out of that space, you know, because anything you do is not going to compare to that. But that's just me. I mean, whatever, I, it doesn't really I, matter. I'm happy I can click the Scorpion. It doesn't take much. Mm. All right. So let's shift gears a little bit here. We're going to go over to Moto. We're going to talk about Chaos Drafts.
1: I think this is basically the exact opposite of the fun formats for new players that are on Arena. Mm -hmm. Because if you are not an enfranchised Magic player, and by enfranchised, I mean deeply enfranchised, and have been playing for five or more years, you're going to be completely lost in Chaos Drafts. Um, However, for those of us that have been playing this game for a long time, that was such a rewarding experience. It was everything that I hoped it would be. I cannot wait for them to come back. I had literally not opened magic online for two months and I think I ended up doing six or seven chaos drafts and every single one of them was a blast. It it was the most fun I've had in magic online in ages.
0: Yeah. So I, I think I'm right on the cusp of being in the wheelhouse for these types of drafts. So I found I did one draft, and I, I would have done more, but it's been a busy couple of weeks for me, so I didn't really get a chance to fire up the stream for them.
1: Well, it's summer in Canada, and you kind of have to go outside during those three months while
0: you can. So exactly. I can respect that. Exactly, I've got to get my base tan before the winter sunburns. So I think I needed. I was saying this before is on the on the, the warm up is I needed about a minute more per pick. <laughs> And, and that's just, and I think I run into that problem with cubes sometimes too, except cube like, you know, once you've done a cube, you've seen a lot of the cards that are in, in some of these cubes, like there's a lot of common cards between the different cubes. But in this one, there's just junk and you have to filter through all of the noise to get the signal of the cards that are standing out to you. And that's easy to do in, in anything for me from, I would say, probably gate crash forward I didn't remember a lot of the RTR block cards specifically, but anything gate crash forward, I could look at a pack and I could pick out the 4 or 5 cards that were that stood out and then pick a color from there or whatever, but like anything like Old Bordered anything pre, what is that like M14, I'd just be like "Mm -hmm." like I'm gonna read the rare, oh it takes me 30 seconds to understand the rare, okay let's go to the uncommons, oh I have to make a pick, there's like 15 seconds left in the pack, um in, in a new format, when I'm still reading cards and things like that, at least every pack you're seeing is kind of the same. So you're seeing a lot of the repeat cards. You can recognize those cards. But in this one, even though when there's like five or six cards left in the pack, I'm like still having to read every single card because I've only seen these cards once. So it, it was fun, but it took a lot of brain power to actually draft.
1: Yeah, one of the things about uh, uh, drafting a set by itself is once you've read the mechanics for that set, four or five times when you see it again on a card you kind of mental shortcut you're like okay bloodthirst I know what that does with this you're just seeing new mechanics every pack and when you get to those very old ones there's a lot of activated abilities on the creatures and just giant blocks of texts on the spells and it is a lot to read through like for me I started drafting in mirage which is basically as soon as you could start drafting I did take a break Many of the sets that were released while I was on that break were not in this Chaos Draft format, which was fortunate for me. So I knew just about all of the packs that I was seeing. Um, I didn't know anything from the Kamigawa block, but I pretty quickly figured out that everything in Kamigawa block was unplayable. So you didn't really need to know what those cards were. Um, you just needed to scan through for the six mana 2-3 flyer and grab it and be thankful that you got it. Um one thing that I liked playing through this very much was seeing cards that were really good in their original format not be good, and cards that weren't good in their original format all of a sudden turn great. In one of my drafts, I got a primeval from Gate Crash. And in Gate Crash, you couldn't play the primevals, they were seven drops, they were awful. But all of a sudden, in a really slow format, these things are going to shine. And then, you know, I, I got it, opened an on uh, Erdwall Illuminator. I was like, God, that guy was so good in shadows. But you're not going to get any cards to investigate with him. Like, these are all the investigate cards you're going to see. So like when I opened that pack, I, you know, that was my opening pack and I saw it and I was like, oh man, Erdwall Illuminator, we're do wait a minute. This is just a one three flyer in this format. So it, it it was a lot of fun. I had a blast. My favorite chaos drafts are still the ones where everybody shows up and brings the three packs that they want. Right, so I would love to see that introduced one day, but as a first outing for Chaos Drafts, this was great and I'd still be playing them this week if they were there
0: yeah I, I did have fun with it, the gameplay was interesting a lot more interesting than um, than the drafting I would say for me specifically um, it, it felt like at times you were just playing Momir though <laughs> it's yeah. like, I'm gonna play a 3 drop, oh hey look, it's a 3-2 vanilla for one black black
1: um You know, one of the things that frustrated some people in my chat is they would say, I don't know what to play around because they could have anything. And I said, well, not really. Like, if the green-white deck is attacking you with creatures that you have good blocks for, you you don't know specifically what combat trick they have, but you know they've got one. Like, what does green or white usually get? Something between plus one, plus one, and plus three, plus three. So, like you could kind of figure out what they had, even if you didn't know exactly what the card was. You know, They've been leaving up two blue forever. They might have a counterspell. Like, I, I really enjoyed that, like using my knowledge of what color pairs do to determine what they had rather than knowledge of specific cards. Uh, but it was kind of just like, I don't know, the lowest power, dirtliest, baddest cube I've ever played. And I'd love to boot one up right
0: now exactly that's exactly where i was too um removal obviously seemed very good yeah because you, about you that? got to get you got to get the old packs removal and the new packs of creatures um but like i just drafted what felt like a jank deck but all the decks i played against were also jank so yeah. the only the only deck i lost to was somebody that had a savage twister and cast it like twice on me and it's like well of course i'm gonna lose those games right did like wipe my board twice and it's kind of like hmm that's my fault the second time, but like, how do you play around it the first time? You don't. So it was it was good. It was definitely not competitive, um, at least for somebody like me. Um, and I would definitely do it again. I think so. It's a good price point too, right? It's the same. It's the same as Cube. So if you get an opportunity to do it, I would try it at least once. But if you're new to Magic or new to or newer to Magic, definitely go in, um, not expecting anything, and play it like a Cube.
1: I would say if if you're in that position, stay away from this and just go play Cube. Like I, I really think this is for some. Like Cube is fun. All the cards are powerful. Like you can just pick all the blue cards you see and have a playable, powerful deck, and it'll be fun. With this, it, it, it was really out there, and I liked that they pushed that. I'd love to see them do backdraft one day. I was talking about this on stream one day. Are you familiar with backdraft? Fill me in. This this is my last wish list. So we sit down and we draft a format like normal. Except when we sit down for the games, if you and I are facing each other, I hand you all the cards I drafted, you hand me all the cards you drafted, we build decks and play. So you're trying to draft the worst cards you can. So like the lands are always first pick out of the packs and then like, you know, last pick is some bomb rare and you're terrified. But if you end up accidentally getting, you know, a a double red bomb rare, you're like, I'm sure not picking any more red cards. And it, it's actually a lot of fun to play that in paper. And I really think they could implement that on magic online. And it's something that very enfranchised magic players would have a blast with. Uh, so put that on my wish list, uh, for this Christmas. I want back draft. Well, you got, you got chaos draft. So I did.
0: So like, let's, let's say wish for the stars, man. Somebody's listening to us. We just need drafting with buddies. Yeah. Oh God. That'd be so good. I, I feel like we should save our one time for drafting with buddies agreed agreed all right but this week we've got cons and for longtime listeners of the podcast you'll know that this is my i would say probably one of my favorite formats uh K- triple ktk we did a whole primer on it about a year and a half ago it was one of our early episodes for sure and um every time it comes up i try to draft it i drafted it a ton when it was on magic online i drafted a lot in paper in that same time period. And I was very kind of sad when it became dragons uh, and fate reforged because cons was no longer in the picture and nobody wanted to draft it anymore. Um, But it's, I think it's to this day, some of my favorite drafting memories in paper anyway, come from triple KTK. So why is this such a good format and why am I so excited to play it? I think that's a question for you. A big reason
1: is anytime you have an 18 land format and for anybody going into to play cons, if you haven't played it before, this is generally speaking an 18 land format. It means that you've got stuff to do with mana. So s- flooding isn't a problem. You're actually intentionally flooding yourself because you've got plenty of stuff to do with your mana. And anytime you've got that, um, you've got a format where you're going to feel a little bit more comfortable playing. You, you're still going to keep two land hands, but you're going to feel pretty comfortable that you'll hit your third land on time. Um, and you're not terrified when you have five lands and a pair of morphs in your hand. So the other thing was like, there was a big level up moment in knowledge. And I, I'm going to pass this one out here for everybody to use. that's going to go draft cons. If you block a mo- so morph creatures... You can play a morph creature for three mana, and it's a 2-2. Later, you can spend a cost that'll be printed on the card to turn it over, and it will then have its other stat line. So Krumar Bondkin being an example is a flexible card. I can spend three black black and get a 5-3. Fine. Or I can pay three colorless, have a 2-2, and later spend four and a black, flip it over, and it's a 5-3. There was a secret to morphs. One of the reasons they're so good is they cast colorless mana to cast, and then you can reinvest the mana later to flip them, meaning in a three-color set where you may not have all of your colors early, you can go ahead and play the morphs out on turn three. The other thing was when you flip them, they have an effect, and your opponent doesn't know what that is. You could get an edge in knowing that morph-on-morph morph combat, you were never going to get blown out if they have less than five mana up. So if your opponent has four lands in play and they attack you with a morph and you have a morph, but you're tapped out, you can block it. They're either going to trade or if they flip it, they won't trade because it might turn into like a 1-5, for example. So you're absolutely fine blocking there. If they swing at you with a morph and have five mana up and you're tapped out and have your own morph, you can't block it or they're just going to sink that mana in there and get it. Now, if you're not tapped out and you're holding a Smite the Monstrous, all of a sudden, maybe you do want to block but then, what if they don't unmorph? And this is why you liked that format, Dave. There were so many levels of, well, do I flip? They know I can flip. Why didn't they flip? And Magic Online was such a great teacher as far as passing priority. Because if you're the attacker and you pass priority, the, you know the opponent gets a chance to respond. If they don't, it's just dead. So I, that's that's really why I loved this format so much. Uh, this is not my favorite format. That is reserved for Hour of Devastation. Um, but this this one's pretty dang close. I think it has some of the best actual gameplay um, that, that you will get in Magic
0: ever. I agree. And I think it comes down to decision-making, right? You feel like you're in control of your own destiny a lot of the time. And if you make the right decision or the wrong decision, you win or lose the game based on that. Um, you can get outplayed by your opponent's Hundred percent, absolutely. That that happens a lot of the time. Um, but specifically with the morphs, you can make these conscious decisions to morph, unmorph, not morph, pass, press priority, play creature face up instead of face down. There's all sorts of lines you can take, and the level of complexity, even though the, the individual decisions might not be that complex, factoring all of them in together does get this interesting kind of chain of complexity, and I really like that. There's even decisions, not even just with morphs, but let's just take outlast, for example. Like, do you outlast or not outlast? Do you take a turn off blocking to outlast and make your 2-1 into a 3-2 first striker? Or do you continue to just hit them for 2 instead of outlasting early to try to, you know, push early damage through and not build your guy into a 3-2 first striker? Do you, you know your raid creatures, do you throw away a token to trigger raids somewhere? Like, there's all of these little interesting decisions with a lot of these mechanics. Even, what was it, Delve, right? Delve is the graveyard resource. Like, do you trade off creatures early to fuel your, your Delve in the late game? Like, maybe you have a Gurmag Angler somewhere in your deck. Maybe you want to trade these morphs off early and get things in your yard, so you can cast this Gurmag Angler earlier than, than you normally would. There's just all of these little tiny decisions that come together, and it makes for a very good experience gameplay-wise. I I very much enjoyed that I want to give at least
1: a little mini primer so that people will know what they're getting into when they come into draft this. Um, so do you want to talk about maybe the wedges and then a few of the outlier decks? Yeah,
0: for sure. So, uh, which one do you want to start with? Let's start with Abzan. I think this is probably my favorite one as a, as a clan in general. So this is white, black, and green. Um, the key thing here is to get into this color pair, you want to either be drafting white, black, or green, black. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but generally you want to stick to enemy colors as opposed to ally colors. It makes your draft a little more open. And um, Abzan's kind of key mechanic was Outlast or plus one, plus one counters. And my favorite thing to do with Outlast was just draft a bunch of different Outlast creatures. And what these creatures did in a lot of cases is that they shared their abilities with each other or with anything that had a plus one, plus one counter on it. So think like Sliver's kind of, in a way. Um, you know, there's a, a 2 first first striker for two, or sorry, a 2-1 for two with Outlast that everything that had a plus-one, plus-one counter had first strike, so you know, you could use Outlast to give itself its ability. You could put plus-one, plus-one counters on creatures in other ways. Feet of Resistance is a very good card in any white-based deck. It's... Uh, one and a white for plus one plus one counter and target creature gains protection from a color till end of turn Mm -hmm. so it was kind of like the ultimate modal spell in a format with five pretty good charms which are modal spells this is like almost like a sixth charm that's only white and it's very very good it um, was interesting, however, that colorless is not a color and morphs are colorless. Morphs so like, are colorless.
1: There were some interesting ways that that still interacted and messed with the format. I, I want to just briefly read one of those Outlast cards to kind of give an example of, of what Outlast does uh, to in, anybody that's here and, and listening to that. Uh, the one that you were mentioning, uh, the 2-1. Enoch Bonkin? Enoch Bonkin, okay. It's one and a white for a 2-1. It has Outlast for one and a white, When you outlast, you tap it and put a plus one, plus one counter on it. You can only use this at sorcery speed. And it also says creatures you control with a plus one, plus one counter have first strike. So the tension there is if I outlast it, I can't block with it. I can't attack with it. This is the only thing that I'm doing with it. So you'd have that, like, you know, you turn to this. You don't have a play on turn three. Should I just attack with it or pump it? They don't have anything in play, but like, where do I go with this? Um, so that, that was the Abzan mechanic, and you'd see this on, on cards for all, all three of the colors that are involved in that wedge, and it, it
0: did make for some very interesting gameplay. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of different ways to get plus one, plus one counters, too. There was Armament Court, which was, uh, gold card, five, converted mana cost for a 4-4, and I think you got two plus one, plus one counters, or up to two on two different creatures, um, so there's a lot of ways to almost give these creatures haste so if you had something like a a bonkin in play or you had the falconer which gave all your creatures the plus one plus one flying sometimes you play the armament core and you'd make two of your creatures flying or give two of your creatures first strike right off the bat um there was the death toucher in black which wasn't as good i preferred a lot of the white ones um but in a pinch you know if if you gave everything death touch or gave some of your things death touch death touch first strike is also a good combo there's a lot of these kind of neat little combos that you could kind of pull off also, there's the sub-theme of Warriors in general. So if you had the Chief of the Scale and Chief of the Edge, uh, Chief of the Scale gave plus zero, plus one to all your Warriors, and Chief of the Edge gave plus one, plus zero to all your Warriors, I think. Yeah. Um, and they and they were very good cards just on their own. I think they were both two drops. One was a mm-hmm. three-two, one was a two-three. Um, those Warriors kind of went into Mardu or Abzan, uh, and that was because they were uh, black and white. So we, I talked a little, little bit about the enemy colors, but... Um, the reason the enemy colors drafting them is good because it keeps you open is because all of the enemy colors go into two different decks. So let's take red and white for, or sorry, red and white, uh, black and white, for example, black and white partners with Abzan and green, or it partners with Mardu and red. If you draft green and white, the only deck you can draft if you're drafting a wedge is drafting Abzan. And that's the same for all of these color combos. So when you're looking at lands and when you're looking at just drafting cards in general and you're not sure what keeps you open, draft a color pair that is enemy. So if you start with the first pick white card and you get a second pick white card and your third pick is between a green card and a black card and they're equal. Take the black one. Take the, take the black card. Mm-hmm. And, and that'll keep you open to two different color combos.
1: Okay. Let's move on to Mardu so that we can make sure we get to talk about all of the different wedges. I think a card that kind of epitomizes their uh, ability and kind of what they were all about was the Mardu Skull Hunter. This is a common one in the black for a two-one. It enters the battlefield tapped, and it has their mechanic raid. Raid you're familiar with because this was reprinted and used in Ixalan. When it enters the battlefield, if you attacked with a creature this turn, target opponent discards a card. That's what Mardu wants to do. This is the color combination of white red and black and they want to be attacking you'll still have some outlast creatures in here you'll have some morphs in here but generally speaking you're going to be trying to attack your opponent to death quickly on the ground
0: yeah um there's a lot of raid value cards that incentivized you to throw away tokens sometimes um cards like Arrowstorm, i believe it was which was uh it was red's removal spell, and it got better if you had attacked. Right, it was four damage mm-hmm. to creature or player, and if you attacked with the creature, you dealt five. So sometimes you just needed that extra bump of damage, um, and it also went to the face in that regard. So sometimes that extra point of damage would actually eliminate your opponent. Um, there was the Mardu chieftain, no, the war leader. Which one was the one that was uh, the token? that made a that made a one one token? Mardu Tuna White war chief mardu horde chief two and a white for two three and when you if you attacked the creature you got a one one right mm-hmm. um what you could often do is attack your two two into their two two make a trade and then play this guy and get a token out of the deal right and you were often very generally speaking you're pleased with that trade um or you could bounce your you know your zero five off of their two two or something like that if you had like a uh what was that creature called the the guy that, uh, what did he do? I'm trying to think of it now. He tapped for tuna blue to, to uh, rummage. You remember that guy, the 05? He was a red card. I'm going to look him up right now. I yes, have I have a copy of that card in my wallet. It's Bloodwater afreet Bloodfire Mentor. That's it. That's it. Why is it in your
1: wallet? Uh, at, I played a lot of cons, and at a GP, I told a pair of my teammates, uh, Chris and Yang, that that was one of the best cards you could get in Jeskai. They didn't necessarily agree with me. I played it in my sealed deck. We made day two because I was able to rummage through the deck and find the answers I needed, so I had them both sign the card, and I still have it in my wallet today. There you go. And he didn't even remember the name of it. Nope, but I remember exactly what it does. I, on to the Mardu Horde Chief, I'll also point out that this card is particularly good because a three mana, two, three in a world of morphs is a god. Everybody is playing two, twos for three. So just having a two, three, even if you can't get the raid value off of it, is pretty hot. Uh, I agree. Um, what's next in the the wedge cycle? Moving through, we would come next to Temur, uh, which mm. is the pair of blue, green, and red. Uh, their mechanic was ferocious, which was basically a, a check when you cast a card. If you had a creature with power four or greater when you cast the spell, something else happens. Uh, so an example for that is uh, Savage Punch. I'm going to look this one up real quick, but it was one in a green, and it's essentially a fight spell. Target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. And then there was a ferocious bonus. Unless I'm mistaken, let's, let's find it so I can read it. I'm going through the spoiler here with you. Yeah, there we go. Uh, if if you have a creature with power four or greater, it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. So you could punch their guy and then fight through it. It didn't have to be the creature that you targeted for the fight. Uh, you just had to have a creature with power four or greater in play in order to do this. Um, so th- this deck was all about getting basically four power creatures in play as fast as you could. Um, there's also a... Um, Two and a green for a 4-2 Grizzly Bear creature, Alpine Grizzly that was in the set with flavor text. So generally speaking, that wouldn't be particularly good in this format because everybody's playing three mana 2 It's just going to trade off. However, uh, since this is going to enable all of your Ferocious cards, you'd probably be pretty interested in that. Yeah. Um,
0: things like Crater Claws were, was very good with the Ferocious. It gave you the extra the bump on damage. That was uh, X and a red for x damage to any target i think it was x plus two if you had ferocious mm-hmm. um green which is pretty much the staple of this deck um had my favorite one of my favorite morphs in the format i think was woolly Loxodon. that guy was a house a relevant elephant uh he was a morph which which so for a two two for three or a six seven you turn him face up for six mana like mm-hmm. you can't get that kind of value anywhere these days um, obviously with the risk that you have to morph it first but it was just unbeatable and you almost never felt bad when it died because it's just like well I'm not you know I might not get to six mana who cares i'm just going to throw this guy away um, and if you got to unmorph with him in the late game you would often blow out your opponent either on offense or defense it was very good morph yeah very high pick
1: uh, next up we'll look at soul tie uh, this was the combination of green, blue, and black. Uh, the mechanic they were going for was Delve, which Dave mentioned a little earlier. Um, and I I think you mentioned probably the perfect card for it, which was the Gurmag Angler. Um, six and a black for a 5-5 five five with Delve, right? Yeah, so with Delve, you can exile cards from your graveyard to help pay for its mana cost. Um, was the Angler actually in this set? I thought he was, wasn't he? I don't remember playing with the Angler until later. Yeah, I don't see it in the list here. One I do remember, and I know that is certainly in this set, um, was the Sultai Scavenger. This was five and a black for a 3-3 three, three Flying Bird Warrior with Delve. Um, so you could kind of get on the cheap and be able to play this card early. It was a warrior, which mattered in some of your warrior decks. Um, and th- this could go in basically anything. There was a, a neat... Interplay, as, as Dave mentioned early about, you know, trading stuff off so that you could play your delve cards on the cheap. And then how many delve cards are you actually able to play in the deck? For me, more than three started to get a little bit concerning because you weren't going to be able to play them on the cheap. Um, as long as you were okay casting that last one for full value, it was probably all right. Because like the scavenger, for example, if I could delve for two and get a four mana, three, three flyer, I was super happy. Uh, And there were certainly times where I cast it for one mana, but that was relatively late in the game.
0: Are are you familiar with the Bernstein Bernstein theory? I think so. You, You know the the Bernstein Bears. Berenstein Bears. Sure. So there's a world, or there's some people in this world that think that it is spelled one way, and there's some people that think it was spelled the other way, and there's there's like this theory where like our multiverses have merged together and our memories of how it was spelled in either one is now merged into one that is where i'm at with the gurmag angler i feel like i have come from a multiverse where that was in cons and not in fate reforged no nope. yeah it was in fate reforged see and and our timelines have merged
1: that's what fate reforged was all about dave it was sarkin's meddling to bring ugin back to life that has caused this problem it's weird also
0: uh Who's the guy? Shazam? Yeah. With Sinbad? That's also mm-hmm. another theory where that actually doesn't exist. Yeah, that that didn't actually happen. Anyway. So,
1: <laughs> last up, uh, we have Jeskai, which was blue, white, and red, or red, right, and blue if you're American, uh, and their mechanic was prowess, uh, which we did see printed later, so many of you will be familiar with that. It's whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Recently, we've seen creatures printed that have something similar to Prowess, but it only triggers off of instants or sorceries. Be aware, this triggers off of artifacts, enchantments, any non-creature spell that you play. Uh, So, generally speaking, what you were doing with this is you would have some Prowess creatures play a removal spell to get through their creatures and then hit them for extra damage. There was also that threat when you attacked him with your Prowess creatures of, you know, if they block and you have a spell... It doesn't have to be a combat trick. It could just be a bounce spell on one of the blockers and you'd end up eating two of the others.
0: Yeah, what were your key cards from this archetype? Like, the only ones I can think of are the ones that are Jeskai specifically that are the kind of the key cards. You had, like, um... Wind Scout was pretty dang good. Uh, two oh, in a blue for a 2-1 flyer. 2-1 flyer,
1: yeah. Master of the Way was terrifying on turn two. Uh, it's one in a white for a 2-2 two, two prowess. Gains lifelink. Uh, When you cast a non-creature spell.
0: So that's about it, right? Like some of the other prowess creatures were either too expensive or not very good. I just remember, like, yes, prowess matters, but quite often it was just like like a red, white, blue, you know, not aggro deck, but like a deck that wanted to attack its attack in the air or attack with first strike with the weapon master morph and and sometimes you got a Jeskai ascendancy and went to town and sometimes you just played morphs that turned into oh sixes or something like that right like there's a lot of different things you did with this it it wasn't like a spells matter even though the mechanic was you know spells matter kind of
1: yeah it, it was like you got a bonus when casting spells and i think the prowess cards that we remember the most the two that we just mentioned would have been fine on their own without prowess the fact that they got a bump from the prowess is, is kind of what made them so good
0: yeah so those are those are the wedges um I find for, for newer players, like when I was drafting with newer players in this format is my advice was always draft a color pair and then like lean into that third, either on, you know, one side of the wedge or the other. Um, and that generally worked out. Okay. You didn't have to rely on getting a lot of fixing, you know, you'd naturally get a couple of those lands. Um, you know, obviously if you're a little more experienced with the format, just go on full three, three colors if you want. And then for the more experienced people, you want to look to the four to five color and Prioritize Fixing and really try to get into that. like Draft every single good morph card you can in any color and just make sure you're playing four or five colors.
1: Yeah, I, I want to mention three other decks um, that, I, that I think are worth looking out for. One of them we've touched on, which is the Black-White Warrior deck. You didn't need a third color for this one. If you got a couple of the Warrior Lords and a couple good cards that said Warrior, there was also um, Raiders Spoils, which pumped your Warriors. You could just do a black-white deck and run people over. It, It was the aggro deck of the format. It was usually splashing a little bit of red or a little bit of green for something, and you were doing that off of the dual lands. There's dual lands at common in this set, by the way, for all of the different color pairs, so you can pick up the fixing pretty easily. In in addition, there are people that don't know what they're doing in this format, and they will just draft a two-color aggro deck. I was actually doing that in the beginning of this format and ignoring all of the mechanics and just drafting two-color aggro decks and beating the snot out of people uh, until until they kind of figured out that you have to be prepared for aggro and be willing to trade off your morphs. Uh, And then the more fun one, and what I drafted today, was the deck where if if there's a, a morph bomb in the pack... Or even a decent morph in the pack, you take it. If there's not, you take the land. I ended up with something like eight dual lands, which is ridiculous. Um, and I was playing morphs of every color and had no problem unmorphing them. Um, I also had, um, God, it was the green enchantment that pumps them when I unmorph them and lets me find lands when I play them. Hidden um, Secrets? No, it wasn't Hidden Secrets. It was the other one, it was the green one. Not the green-blue one. But th- that certainly made it easier. But you can do this deck without that card. Um, all you really need is just good fixing and a bunch of good morphs.
0: Yeah. The, I mean, the the Hidden Secrets deck is also pretty sweet, which is basically what you're doing anyway in the deck that you're describing.
1: Yeah, you just but. can do it without the enchantment. It, Trail of Mystery is the card I was thinking of, by the way. Oh, right. Trail of Mystery. So
0: we should talk about Hidden Secrets, though, because I think we'd be... It's kind of a disservice to not talk about it let me just find the exact wording on it that was a green blue card right yes why can i not find it was that in cons
1: that was in cons
0: do you remember what it does <laughs>
1: uh it's uh, blue and a green for an enchantment morphs you control get or excuse me colorless creatures you control get uh Plus zero plus one. No, it says face down creatures you control get plus zero plus one. Whenever a permanent you control is turned face up, draw a card. It's called Secret Plans. That's why you couldn't find
0: it. Not hidden secrets. Yes. yes. Because all
1: secrets would be hidden.
0: Yeah, so there's the Secret Plans deck. Um also sometimes you just randomly open up a ghost fire blade. Oh god, which... I had that today and that's absurd. Uh, There's like plus two plus two and it's super cheap to equip to morphs or to equip to colorless creatures. Mm -hmm. Um so sometimes you just end up people that are against people that are just playing a you know a bunch five different colors and they're playing a bunch of morphs and they kind of run you over because every single card they have is good. And um those are very fun decks to draft. It's sometimes it's a fight for it, especially if you're drafting with experienced drafters. Like the Secret Plans deck is something that a lot of people fight for. Like if two people open Secret Plans at the table. They're gonna be executing the same strategy and you might not be able to get those lands or you might not be able to get all those good morphs so sometimes you just get backed into a corner where you can't draft that that deck but very interesting stuff and I mean some sometimes like some people would say that, that the drafting on in this format is on the rails because they think that the five de- the five color deck is just the way to go and you just draft morphs and fixing and morphs and fixing and you don't do anything else that would um, be me that would be you you're not wrong. Um, But I think for those people that are in the middle experience tier, I think it's a very interesting draft experience, and the gameplay is is definitely second to none.
1: For me, a magic set to be perfect needs to hit on three areas, which is amazing draft, amazing gameplay, and amazing setting. That actually matters to me. The the setting of this was kind of garbage to me. It was just like we took a bunch of random creatures and shook them all up and spit them out and randomly assigned them to wedges. Like, I I didn't particularly care for that. So the flavor wasn't there. The draft portion was a bit on rails. The gameplay was so good that I think this is probably my second favorite draft format of all time. Because just that, that, you know, not knowing what they had, being able to maximize knowing when the morphs flipped, it really rewarded you for some knowledge. And we've given you the pieces that you need here. This last little tidbit for me, when you're looking at picking those lands in the packs... Much as Dave mentioned when you're drafting colors to pick enemy colors, the enemy, the the lands, the dual lands, the enemy colored lands are much higher value. Because if I take a green blue land, I can put that in either the Sultai deck or the... Um... Teamer. Teamer, thank you. <laughs> <It> was <laughs> trying hard to remember the, the names of them. Whereas if I pick the red green one, it can only go in the Teamer deck. So like... Bear that in mind, too, as you're going through these drafts.
0: Yeah, exactly. And if you're not sure what the ally enemy pairs are, just look at the back of a magic card. Ally colors are the ones next to each other, and enemies are the ones across from each other. So it can be difficult to visualize if, if this is not something you're used to doing or used to thinking about. I know the first time I, I heard that, way back when, I was very confused. But just remember that that uh, that uh, the diagram on the back of a magic card.
1: I have a magic card on my desk. Right now I'm showing it to Dave. Dave. This I have had a magic card on my desk since cons of Tarkir came out because that is exactly what I used to remember which colors I could draft and which ones I couldn't I um, mean i I just kind of been in the ca- habit of having one nearby ever since then, so that's good advice. Go. So even the best have to rely on their visual aids. All right, I feel like that would give somebody a chance to jump into cons, and I can't let us end this podcast without getting to talk about metamorphic alteration.
0: Okay, you get to get on your soapbox here for uh, two minutes. All right, I'm going to climb up here for a
1: minute. Get all this chair squeaking out of the way as I get up on the soapbox. So last week, we talked about when medium cards go bad and how they just don't really print unplayable cards anymore. That's kind of not what magic's about. And I've noticed an interesting phenomenon as I've been going through drafting M19. Now, my win percentage was a little low for me, but would you say
0: 65% is still pretty dang respectable? I would say, in, especially in single games, that is pretty respectable.
1: I've had a lot of people tell me that I'm overvaluing Switcheroo and that I'm undervaluing Metamorphic Alteration. So, Switcheroo is four in a blue, exchange control of two target creatures. Metamorphic Alteration is one in a blue for an enchantment aura, enchant creature. As Metamorphic Alteration enters the battlefield, choose a creature. Enchanted Creature is a copy of the chosen creature. So, yes, Metamorphic Alteration is significantly cheaper. However, I want to walk through why I like Switcheroo and why I don't like Metamorphic Alteration and hopefully convince some people to jump on board this bandwagon with me. So... Metamorphic Alteration is trying to do two things on one card. And usually I like that. That would make it a modal spell. But what it's trying to do is let me either downgrade Dave's best creature or upgrade my worst creature, right? That's generally speaking what I'm going to do with this card. I'm either going to turn his 6-6 into a 2-2 or I'm going to turn my 2-2 into a 6-6. Either way that I do that... I've I've invested kind of two cards and still left something on the board for that exchange and I've gotten one of those effects I've either upgraded my worst creature or downgraded his best creature. This effect is also vulnerable to naturalize effects which I've been saying from the beginning of the format that you should be running and vulnerable to bounce effects. Switcheroo on the other hand does both of those things at once. It upgrades my worst creature and downgrades your best creature. They just get swapped. So like in any situation where you would actually want metamorphic alteration, Switcheroo is just going to do the same thing even better. I think people get a little bit of rare blindness here, which is something that can happen. Like there's a lot of text on here and you can look at it and think either of these things might be useful and I get them both on one card so I should be excited about it and it's very cheap. But this is never something that you're going to cast on turn two right? Like it would be absolutely pointless to do that. So my argument is that switcheroo just does what this card does better at a lower rarity and has some combos. There's ways in this set to get uh, sorceries out of your graveyard and back into your hand. And there's really not anything that combos with auras unless you're pairing it with like green white, which is just kind of not something I'm doing. So like, I understand it's a rare and I understand it looks flashy and it does have two modes, and one of them could be useful. And it's not like you're always going to have a switcheroo in your blue deck. Somehow I always end up with one. That's usually why I go blue. But like, I actively don't want metamorphic alteration in my deck. I'd rather just have a dwindle, which 90% of the time is going to do what this card does but better. I, I can now step down from my soapbox unless you happen to disagree with me.
0: I don't disagree. Um, I think the reason why alteration is not the card you're looking for, is because it doesn't get you ahead. The best it can do is catch you up to parity. Yeah. Right, where Switcheroo actively gets you ahead in a lot of scenarios. I have a 2-2, you have a 5-5, I have a 5-5, you have a 2-2, I am now ahead. If I play Alteration, either you have a 2-2 and I have a 2-2, or you have a 5-5 and I have a 5-5. And that's not... I'm not I'm not getting ahead in that case and then it gives you the opportunity to cast a spell and put me behind.
1: Yeah. That's actually a so, really eloquent way to say it. So I feel like both Switcheroo and Dwindle are better cards and it's not that I'm saying you can't put this in your deck because again they just don't print cards like that anymore. You can put this in your deck and it's it it's going to blow somebody out. I get routinely beaten every day by cards that I would call unplayable because they're just not, they don't print unplayable cards anymore. But if you put less cards like metamorphic alteration in your deck over time, you're going to be happier with your results. Agreed. I think that's going to wrap us up here. Yeah. I think we kind of had a lot of topics to cover and uh, we covered all of them.
0: I can't wait to draft cons this week though. So we're going to come back next week and see how that went and hopefully we'll be into pretty close to the Guilds of Ravnica season right away here. It's only a month away. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. Kind of blows my mind. So once again, thanks to face to Face Games for the host and the support. Uh, if you want to support us on top of just listening to us, you can catch us on our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash And if you want to follow Travis on Twitch and Twitter, where can they find you?
1: Uh, I'm at Simulin, S-E-M-U-L-I-N on both platforms.
0: And you are crushing it with the streams these days, by the way. So congratulations on all your ongoing success.
1: Thank you. We've had a lot of really good days as far as support and viewership go. So shout out to the people that are tuning in every day. Um, I, I, This is my dream
0: job and I couldn't do it without you guys. And I'm very appreciative. Thank you very much. And you can catch me on Twitch and Twitter at D That's D S A V I L L I A N. Now that summer's over, we're back to regular, more regular streaming than I have been. So I cannot wait. Starting with cons. Once again, cons! thanks for
1: listening.
0: We'll catch you next time.